and welcome to Inside the Admissions Office, the official podcast of Ingenious Prep and your go-to resource for expert admissions strategy. My name is Noelle, and each episode, I'll bring you behind-the-scenes knowledge from former admissions officers about their first-hand experiences reviewing applications. Our strategies have helped countless students gain acceptance to top universities, and we're here to help your student gain that competitive edge and do the same. If you would like to set up a complimentary strategy call, simply follow the link in our episode description and our expert team of enrollment counselors will work with you to create a personalized plan for admission into your student's dream school. Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for joining me for another exciting episode. Today, I had the absolute pleasure of sitting down with Nivanthi, who is a graduate coach at Ingenious Prep, and we got to learn more about her fascinating journey from studying neuroscience at Princeton to music at Yale. But not only that, she led us into some of her best secrets and tips that she uses as a graduate coach to really transform our students' essays like this one. Usually people are like, Here's evidence piece one. Here's evidence piece two. Here's evidence piece three. Here's the conclusion I've drawn as the result of that. But the problem with that is this is like when you're going down the stairs without any lights, you don't really know where you're going until you get there. Whereas if you tell them right away, here's the point, here's the evidence for it, then your reader is already oriented, right? And this. There's no good writing, only good rewriting. And I think that's really true. When you're making an argument, when you're crafting an essay, what is the point? Why do I care? Why are you telling me this? How does this relate to the prompt? This is what's always guiding my mind when I'm reading a student's essay. All right, we got a great episode ahead for y'all. So I hope you're ready and let's jump right in. Hi, Navanti. How are you today? I'm doing really well. How are you doing? I'm great. Thank you. And I'm truly so excited to chat today. I had told you this earlier, but I personally was so looking forward to interviewing you after observing the wonderful work you do with our students. But before we get into all of that, can you briefly introduce yourself, share a little bit about your background with our listeners? Sure. My name is Navanti Karanaratna. I am a graduate coach with Ingenious Prep. I went to Princeton University for my undergrad, where I did a bachelor's in neuroscience and also a certificate in music. I then went to the Yale School of Music, where I did a master's in music. And when the pandemic hit, I took some time away from education. I then moved to London to pursue another master's in historical horns, this time at the Trinity Lab and Conservatoire of Music and Dance, where I've just graduated. I'm currently pursuing a professional diploma at the Royal Academy of Music. So I've been in London for about two and a half years now being um, a musician in London. It's been really great. Wow, that is such an incredible and impressive resume. And I think it's fascinating that you did a bachelor's in neuroscience at Princeton, and now you're pursuing music at such a high level. So I'm really curious about your journey. Can you take us all the way back to the start when you were in high school and talk a bit about your beginning? What kind of student were you and what inspired you to pursue neuroscience in college? Yeah, you know, like a lot of our students at Ingenious, I was just an incredibly busy kid in high school. I think the main thing I did was honestly music. I took piano as a kid and I did that at a fairly high level. I was involved with band. Second year of high school, I joined orchestra. I also did volunteering at the local elementary school. I just did all these different things, but there was usually like some kind of connecting thread, I think. When I applied to Princeton, the neuroscience major didn't exist yet. So the way the kind of academics work at Princeton, you don't declare your major until the end of the year, second year. And so when I I think I actually applied as a physics major, even though I think for all my other schools I had applied for neuroscience, but the department was created and then I was able to join. We were the first graduating class that could declare it as a major. Love that you were the first graduating class. That's such a fun fact. And you mentioned you initially applied to Princeton as a physics major, so you must have had a very strong STEM background. Were you a part of any STEM clubs or win any awards? Like, I'm curious what it was about your application that helped you stand out and get accepted into Princeton. As far as STEM goes, 
those. I don't think I actually did any STEM clubs specifically. I did as many AP classes basically as I could in high school as were available to me. So I had AP physics, AP calc, those kinds of things. And so I think in terms of academics, like that's where I really showed my strengths. But I think when you're applying to a school that's as competitive as Princeton, they are, of course, looking at your academic credentials and your test scores and all of those things to see how you've done. But they also want to see, I think, a student who is incredibly ambitious and driven. And the way that manifested most actually, maybe counterintuitively, was through my music. When it came to music, I did piano. Yes, I did a band. But I think the things that really helped me stand up is not so much the things that I did in my school context. It was the things I did in my region. For example, I was part of the Chicago Youth Orchestra. I was also part of the Merritt School of Music, which is another music program in the Chicago area. And I also was accepted to the National Youth Orchestra of the USA. And so altogether, this kind of painted a picture of someone who obviously was academically qualified. I had the grades. I had the test scores. I guess they thought I had the writing as well. And then I also had distinguished myself nationally with this as well through music. And I'm curious, only because I also come from a music background, I attended Juilliard pre-college from a very young age and studied violin. I could have pursued music professionally, but I decided to go the college route and attend Northwestern. And I was completely at peace with that because I had been accepted as a dual degree student. So I was able to say, okay, I can still play violin, but also have the arts and science aspect with my psychology major. So what made you make that decision to first pursue an academic route at Princeton and then transition over to music? Yeah. So you're going to actually think this is hilarious because my dream school was actually Northwestern. Most of the programs I applied to when I was in high school were dual degree programs. So obviously Northwestern is incredible for that. University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign, Indiana University, Michigan, Oberlin, all these different places. And I think when I was applying, I never actually thought of myself as a candidate that Princeton would seriously consider. And so I think I sent off the application and didn't think twice about it. I was like, okay, if this happens, it happens. We'll see, basically. And I had my heart set on Northwestern. I think she might have retired now, but Gail Williams was the professor I really wanted to study with. And basically, I had an offer for music. And then, surprisingly, I got the offer of admission from Princeton. And I remember telling my mom, I called up and I said, hey, I'm uh, she's like, yeah. And I said, I think college broke. And she's like, what do you mean? And I said, I got into Princeton. So anyway, it was a really big decision for me because this was obviously a major turning point. But the other kind of hilarious thing that's, I think, important with me is that when I set my eye on something, I'm a bit relentless towards achieving it. When I was like in seventh grade, my teacher had us do the Myers-Briggs personality test. And I think at that point I was ENTJ or something. And so it was like, oh, you'd be a great artist and a musician or whatever. And I was like, I'm going to be a neurosurgeon. Basically, this was part of an assignment where you're going to take this personality test, then you're going to write an essay about what kind of career you want and what kind of university you want to study at. So I literally wrote this essay in seventh grade about how I was going to go to Princeton and study neuroscience and become a neurosurgeon. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> I just always had this idea that I was going to study neuroscience in college. I don't know if you call it an obsession, but it was just always the idea I had in my head. And so that's what I did. And then in terms of the transition to music, I was part of the orchestra, the Princeton University Orchestra, and I had an absolutely incredible time there. I did really well musically there, so I got put on first most of the time. And I, being in the first chair, I felt a lot of responsibility because I'm like, I need to know my part. I need to show up. I need to be able to lead this section and let them know what they need to do. And I need to set whatever the highest standard I can, right? And at a certain point, I, I started thinking, at what point are you going to admit you're spending loads of hours practicing every day, which is more than most of these students are doing, which it's not an attack on them. Like they were there to be engineers or like political scientists, whatever it is. Like they did the orchestra because they loved it and they wanted to be part of it. At a certain point, I realized that I had been thinking about doing music for so long and I just knew 
if I continued down this path of maybe getting a PhD and like studying science and like doing research, I knew that there was going to be part of me that would always wonder, what if you had tried? What if you gave it your all? And I just knew that if I was like 40 or 50 and I woke up not having tried music, I knew I was going to regret it. And so I decided to go full tilt on it. And I applied to a bunch of different places in my senior year of college. I got some offers and then I ultimately decided on Yale. Wow, what an incredible journey. And I think it's so important to call out the many self-reflection questions you were asking yourself because that's something we highlight with our students to make sure they're asking themselves the right questions to find that perfect school fit for an example, right? And something I'm noticing is that you're always asking yourself why. For example, why am I spending so many hours practicing, which led you to the conclusion that deep down you were really passionate about music. And that really resonated with me because I can truly see this with the work you do with our students. I've noticed that you're so great at pushing our students to explore their deeper why within their essays, which really elevates their final draft. So I'm just wondering if you could tell us more about this why introspective mindset, especially when it comes to essay writing. You know, why do I care? This this is always kind of the guiding question for me in everything. So when you're writing an essay... Every statement you make needs to have a point. And especially with these really short essays, typically you're going to have an essay that's two to 300 words, right? If you are lucky, you might get 400. Or if they're going really crazy, you're going to get five or 600. That's an exception. But even then, that's not that many words. And so every single word you choose has to have a point and every sentence has to have a point and they all have to relate to each other. I had a high school teacher who said, there's no good writing, only good rewriting. And I think that's really true. When you're making an argument, when you're crafting an essay, What is the point? Why do I care? Why are you telling me this? How does this relate to the prompt? This is what's always guiding my mind when I'm reading a student's essay. Okay, I've always got the prompt first and foremost. What are they trying to ask? What does the admissions officer from that school want to know? And what points are you making to address that, right? And so if you're hitting me with argument after argument after argument after argument, okay, but what's the point of all those? Why do I care about each of those? What is the significance of those things? If I tell you music has given me life skills, for example, that tells you absolutely nothing. If I tell you that it's taught me punctuality and how to prepare in advance and how to prepare for long-term projects, those things give you a lot more information. And it's very similar with writing. So if a university is asking, why do you want to come to our university? And you're like, oh, Northwestern is a great school. They know that. What about it is good for you specifically? What is it that you are going to take from Northwestern? And how are you going to give back to Northwestern? When it comes to the essays, for every sentence, I'm asking, why do I care about this? And then as I'm working with the essay, I'm trying to see how those points fit together. And so I comment on documents very extensively because I don't really like to do things without explanations. And the reason for that is I don't feel that my students are going to be able to write on their own if I'm just correcting them without why. So if I'm restructuring something or if I've asked them to clarify something, I try to make them understand why I'm doing that. Again, why do I care? Because if they understand why I'm asking these questions or why I've changed something, they can take that approach to future essays that they need to write. So there's quite a few revisions and I think students are often surprised just how many revisions it takes to get to a really stellar essay. I love that. And through reviewing all these student essays, I'm sure you've noticed some patterns. Are there common mistakes that you see a lot of your students make? Or is there something in particular that you're always pointing out to your students that you can maybe share with our listeners? Oh my gosh, loads. And obviously, at this point, I've read hundreds, if not thousands of essays. And there's a certain amount of experience that comes with this. 
But this is actually where my thesis advisor at Princeton has really gotten into my brain about this. And she said, start with the conclusion, which seems completely backwards in paragraph by paragraph. Usually people are like, here's evidence piece one, here's evidence piece two, here's evidence piece three, here's the conclusion I've drawn as the result of that. But the problem with that is this is like when you're going down the stairs without any lights, you don't really know where you're going until you get there. Whereas if you tell them right away, here's the point, here's the evidence for it, then your reader is already oriented, right? And I think this is especially important when admissions officers are spending so little time, they're skimming, they need to understand right away. And so for me, order is really important in essays. And I like to think of them as like a puzzle. Like a lot of the time, the basic content is there, I just have to get it in the right place. I think another mistake that students make is they often are trying for too many arguments rather than choosing their best arguments and elaborating upon them. Again, generally, fewer points better explained are going to make a much more effective argument than hitting them with everything in the kitchen sink. I'm also a really strong believer in not using the word get in college admissions writing. There are so many interesting verbs in the English language. Use them. Do not use the word get. It's lazy. It's not effective. I'm sorry. That's how I feel. But yeah, understand what the prompt is. Let them know what it is you're talking about and then give them the evidence and use really rich descriptive writing. Draw them in. Make them want to read more. I loved what you said about going down the stairs without any lights. I think that's such a great analogy. And you also mentioned something very interesting that oftentimes students try to make too many arguments rather than making one very strong argument. So How do you help your students kind of narrow their focus down? I know when you're writing, it's so easy to get attached and try not to let certain ideas go. So how do you navigate that with your students? As an external person, this is easier for me to do. When it's your life and you're living it, it's sometimes harder to see clearly what's the most important thing. And I think having that perspective helps me a lot. I think the other thing is there's often the difference between what feels important and what is truly important. I remember my first year, I was working on the honors list with a student, and he had some perseverance award from his school, a very sweet award. And his mom wanted to put that over the national award. And I'm like, look, this is great. He has this character award, but he has a national award here, right? This is clearly more important. Again, external perspective. And so, for example, let's go back to the why do you want to come to our school question. If you're arguing that you want to be a science major at that school, what are the most important things there? The science that you've done, right? What's the most impressive science that you've done or the most important math or whatever project? Again, a perseverance award might not necessarily stack up in the same way that a national science fair would, right? And again, I try to explain this to students so that like, as they're writing future essays, they can take that on themselves. Perfect. And I have a question from a listener here, and I'm very curious to see what your response would be. They wrote, hi, I recently heard in a past episode that colleges are not wanting trophy chasers. In order to stand out and be competitive, I want to highlight my awards and achievements, but how do I do that without coming off as too braggy or too showy? Thank you to the listener for submitting that. What would your response be, Navanthi? I'm a big believer. What I tell my students over and over again Tell them about the work, but let the work speak for itself. And so what I mean by that, if you're like, I am such a smart person, I had this super cool science project, it's the most impressive thing that you're ever going to see, that's just going to turn people off right away. But if you're talking about your project with enthusiasm and state your accomplishment, own that. If you have a prize at a national science fair, absolutely say that. But the work speaks for itself. Having a title in a club doesn't mean anything if the club is basically defunct. But If you have no title in a club, but you've done a lot of work and you can talk about that work, that means a lot more. And so for me, again, showing enthusiasm, stating clearly your accomplishment, allows you to showcase what an impressive individual you are without seeming like you're not humble. 
Perfect. And we've been talking a lot about how to refine a student's writing, but what are your best tips on starting this whole process? I have a lot of questions here along the same sentiment of students feeling very overwhelmed with the idea of having to write all these essay prompts and not really knowing where to start. So what would your advice be for these students? I think the most important part of writing an essay is just to start it. You might have some ideas, you might have no ideas, but it's a bit gross. But I always tell my students, just word vomit at this stage of the game. We're going to be refining this as we go along. But the important thing is just to get some words on the page. Again, a lot of students tend to have too many ideas when it comes to their essays. Just put it all on the page, refine it later. That's how we find the connecting threads. And then I can see the patterns and then I can fit that into a complete package later. And a follow-up question here. Can you think of a student who, after many revisions, ended up with a stellar essay? What was the process like and what did you do to take their essay to the next level? So my first year with Ingenious, I was working with a student who ultimately actually got in ED to NYU. And we struggled with his personal statement. Let me tell you, I don't think I've had a student have that much struggle on the front end of essay writing because we had meeting after meeting, just trying to come up with ideas, trying to brainstorm together. And one exercise that I might use with the personal statement is, okay, talk about really important memories to you. Something that like just sticks in your mind for some reason. It could be in high school, it could be a childhood memory, whatever. What are some really impactful memories you have? And so we had this list of five or six memories and none of them on their own could really be developed into a really meaty essay. But what I noticed is that a few of them actually took place in like a bathroom. And so I was like, okay, this is gonna sound really rogue, but what if we wrote your essay about toilets? And we wrote an essay about toilets and he got an ED to NYU. One memory was as a kid when he was in the bathroom, he had this kind of mosaic-y tile. And so he would trace them with his eyes when he was a kid. He witnessed bullying for the first time in a bathroom at school as a kid. He had gone to Japan at some point, was completely flummoxed by the whole thing because they have super technologically advanced ones. And then flip side of that, the student, his family's from India and some of his family members had squat toilets. We ended up writing this really funny essay about basically how the toilet is this representation of humanity, essentially, how it's the common denominator. And within all of this, reflecting on what time us all together as people. I think that's an essay that stands out for me. I think that's such a genius idea and honestly so clever to connect all of that. And I can only imagine from an admissions officer's perspective, just reading that and having it stand out so much because it truly is so unique. And going along that, I know in a past episode, we talked about how students need to approach supplemental and personal essay writing differently. Can you share with us how you approach these two different essays with your students? Yeah, the personal statement is just that, right? This is the biggest piece of writing you're going to have on your application. This is where you really get to showcase your personality and your voice. This is the biggest chance they have to see that. This usually takes several months of work and lots of revisions with my students. First step, just get ideas on the page, right? Figure out which question of the options speaks to you most. You might not be able to start with that even. Just start writing down ideas for all of them. At some point, you're going to see, okay, well, some of these are really more substantial than others, and that'll help you winnow it down to the question you ultimately choose. When it comes to the supplements, that's where you really need to dig in and do your research. So you need to understand what is this school what is the reputation of the school? What kind of students go there? What does a Northwestern student look like? What does a Princeton student look like? Obviously, there's not one answer. I think Princeton's unofficial motto, it's like in the service of nations and the nations of service, right? So service is really important to them. And I had volunteer work in my activities list. They really value hard work, civic engagement. That reflects actually directly in their essay prompts. I think a lot of people think that admissions officers might be trying to trip you up with the questions, but they're actually quite literal. And so really think about what is the question asking? I keep coming back to the why do you want to come to our school essay? Because I think it's the easiest to visualize. And when you're thinking about, again, what is the reputation of the school and how do those things interact with your personal story? That's how you need to be thinking when you're approaching these supplemental essays. I think it's also important, 
connecting threads. Why do I care? The application is not a random compilation of things. They paint a very specific picture of who you are. And so you need to make sure that all these things work together. If you've got certain information in one essay, you don't necessarily need to put them in the other, but there might be, again, a connecting thread there. For example, why do you want to go to your school? Oh, you have a great science program and these specific qualities of that science program are what attracts me to it. Then there's another essay maybe about what do you want your career to be like? You're not going to repeat verbatim about, oh, these classes are really great, but you might briefly touch upon those opportunities and explain how that's going to propel you into a career. I think one thing that trips students up a lot is they're 17, they're 18. They don't know what they're going to do when they're 50. And that's not a bad thing. I think most 49-year-olds don't know what they're doing when they're 50. What I tell students is use your best guess. What interests you right now? So think about it. A lot of students are really into genetics right now. Why are you interested in genetics? What is the, the impact of pursuing a field like this? What kind of career might that lead you to? How will this university help you. And so when you're asking all these questions, again, you can just come up with a much more rich, nuanced, personal answer than just Northwestern is a great school. Princeton is a great school. I love you. Please accept me. Fantastic. You had so many helpful pointers in there. Are there any last tips you'd like to share with our listeners when it comes to essay writing? Start earlier than you think you need to and stay organized. Spreadsheets, checklists, make all of them and use them. You don't want to get to three days before and then realize you've completely forgotten about an essay. Repeatedly check the website, cross-check yourself. I mentioned keeping a list. I like to keep a document that has all the prompts only for all the universities along with the deadlines. Keep your deadline on everything, name and date and everything. Thank you, Mr. Cronin from High School Physics. So start early, stay organized. Perfect. Perfect. And a couple last questions here to wrap us up. Do you have any big learnings from your own college journey that you can share with our listeners? I think the biggest thing for me, honestly, has been trying to work on this like progress versus perfection thing. And it's something that I continue working on and I will always be working on. I am such a perfectionist. I might even say a recovering perfectionist. And to a certain extent, that is a good thing. It means that you have high standards and you want to achieve them, right? It also means that you're never satisfied and you beat yourself up over really insignificant things. I heard a great quote today is that beating yourself doesn't accomplish anything. It just leaves you bruised. And I thought that's really true, right? And the other thing is it can really lead you to fixate over, again, things that are just aren't important. When you are oriented towards progress, you're like, okay, I can't play this piece perfectly, but I'm playing it better than I was yesterday, right? Or I can do a lip trill better than I was, right? And if you only have your eye on the prize, you're going to be tripping over everything in the way. But if you're like, okay, well, there's a little bit of a ditch there. I need to jump over that, right? And so this is how I feel about this progress versus perfection. You're never going to get it right on the first try, but the more times the try, the closer you're going to get. Perfect. I love that. And going along my last question, can you share with us a piece of advice or any big learnings from working with students now on their college applications as a graduate coach? It's such an emotionally charged time. It feels like this really big decision. And it is. Where you go to university obviously has a massive impact, but I think a lot of people feel like it's this all or nothing thing. But again, just take it one step at a time and it'll be okay. I think there's a lot of students who will get into their dream schools. There's also going to be a lot of heartbreak. And that's just the reality of it. Admissions are more complicated and more complex and more competitive than ever. But you are going to end up at the school that's right for you. So be ambitious. Also be realistic. And when you're forming your list, make sure that even your safeties are places that you would be happy to go to. Just trust that you're going to end up in the right place and work as hard as you can and it'll be fine. Fantastic. And I just have one final question for you today. Just to wrap us up here, if you could leave our listeners with one key piece of advice, and this can be about anything college admissions, what would that be? I think I have to repeat my advice about the essays because it applies to everything. Start earlier than you think you need to and stay organized. Whether it's doing university visits, whether it's reaching out to current students at those schools, attending information sessions, checking out the financial aid, 
the more organized that you can be at every stage of the process, the less stress and the more control that you will feel. And I think that's really important because, again, it is such an emotionally charged time. Accept help. You are smart and ambitious and hardworking people and you're very used to doing things on your own. But it's okay to eat a slice of humble pie and listen to other people. When I was in high school myself, I didn't have a service like Ingenious, but my parents proofread my essays. My English teachers looked over drafts. And so even though I didn't have Ingenious necessarily, I still was doing a similar process in terms of just getting help, getting multiple eyes on it. And ultimately, like that collaborative effort will make a better final product. Thank you so much for joining us today. And if you would like to speak with one of our experts, you can set up a complimentary strategy call with one of our enrollment counselors by following the link in our episode description. And for more information and access to additional resources, you can register for our webinars, which is also linked in the episode description. If you have any questions or would like to request a topic for a future episode, you can email me directly at noelle.kim at ingeniousprep.com. Thank you for listening to another episode of Inside the Admissions Office. And don't forget to follow the podcast so you're notified every time a new episode is available. That's all for now. And I hope you'll join me next time as we continue our journey inside the admissions office.